On the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we want to talk about denominationalism. Yeah, uh, most people think denominationalism is a wonderful thing and it's all okay, and we don't. And I think a lot of people have questions about why we can't embrace the, the sort of the norm, the religious norm of our day, denominationalism. So we want to talk about why we can't embrace denominationalism. All right, it's going to be a good discussion, and we're getting started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, May 17th, 2018. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Welcome back. Thanks. Good to be here. And Monty's back tonight, uh, back in his uh, normal seat, I guess. Monty, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jake. It's good to be here. Look forward to hearing from you, Monty. Look forward to hearing from you on the other end of the line, 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Lots of folks in the chat room tonight but haven't signed in. Sign in there and send your comments to share with other listeners on the program tonight. Jacob, last week I got to listen to, to most of your broadcasts last week, although I was out of town. Uh, and I thought you had a really interesting discussion about what do people think of first when they hear Church of Christ. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a really interesting question to ask and good reactions uh, to deal with. In the the course of reacting, a lot of people suggest, well, you all think you're the only ones going to heaven. You think you're the only true church, uh, uh, that sort of thing. And so it, it brought to my mind maybe it would be good to deal with the subject of denominationalism and, and what what the Bible would have to say about the current religious atmosphere in our in our society today. We live in a so-called Christian nation. Most of the people we interact with wear the name Christian in one form or another, but most all of them are a member of some religious denomination. Okay. Uh, and most people think that's okay. That's fine. In fact, that's normal. That's to be expected. Uh, I'm a Christian. You're a Christian. I'm a Baptist Christian. You're a Lutheran Christian. Monty's a Presbyterian Christian. But we're all Christian. We're all uh, we're all part of the same big deal. We're just in different parts of it. And I don't think people understand the implication of the idea of denominationalism. At least two times this week, I was asked, "What denomination are you?" Yeah. As in, it's okay. and the whole idea of a denomination is a bad thing, and uh, we want to. I guess we need to talk about that as we go along. Yeah. Again, I, I think we want to. What we want to suggest is we don't think it's a good thing. Now, uh, have we got it? Uh, uh, another little caveat. I would say, have we got it all right? Are we? Are we exactly sure we're perfect in every aspect of our, our of our pursuit of uh, Christ, of true New Testament Christianity? No, we could be wrong. We want to be right. We're striving to be right. We're striving to understand the Bible accurately. But but we're not saying that we are perfect in all matters. We want to be. We're striving to be. But we believe there is a perfect out there. There There is a perfect pattern, a perfect picture of what God wants for his church. 
uh, in the scriptures, and that's what we're uh, trying to attain to. All right, and so we're not embracing the idea of denominationalism. And we'll talk some about the meaning of that and all uh, as we get into our discussion. Uh, I, I found some old notes about this back in 1978. That's 40 years ago. That certainly uh, is. Uh, a fellow named J. Gordon Melton published an Encyclopedia of American Religious Groups, and he identified 1,200, 1,200 distinct religious groups in America. That was 40 years ago. That may have been a low estimate even then. Just 11 years later, the U.N. released the World Census of Religious Activities and reported that there were 23,000 Christian denominations. In 11 years, mm. it went from 1,200 to 23,000. And now I don't think we can probably even get a handle on how many different different denominations there are that all identify in some aspect with the word Christian. Uh, so that's what we want to talk about. Is that good? Is that okay? Um, to our update list earlier today, we sent out some questions and asking for feedback. These are the questions we'd like to try to cover in our program tonight. If you're not on our update list, get on it by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com and say, add me to your list. All right. We'll be glad to do that. Uh, so... Number one, how would you answer those who explain that various denominations are simply different branches of the same tree, pieces of the same pie, different roads to the same destination? Okay. All right. We're going to deal with that. Number, Because I think that is how a lot of people view this, uh, especially the first one and the last one, different branches of the same tree, different roads to the same destination. Yeah, I know the pie thing may not be. Uh, Maybe not. Maybe not, but it could be. Number two, what does the New Testament teach about, one, the uniformity of belief and practice among Christians, the acceptability of division, okay. and what the Lord's will is about unity? Mm-hmm. And then number three, how many churches did Jesus promise to build? How many did he purchase with his blood? How many churches is Jesus the head of? How many churches is he the savior of? How many churches are true believers added to? Okay. So that's the way we'll go in our program tonight. That's the way we'll develop our discussion. And why won't you help us with the discussion by giving us a call at 877-381-4567. We'd love to hear from you tonight. Well, let's talk about the, what I think is some misconceptions of the, of the um, idea of what a denomination, denomination is or what denominationalism is. And, and the one we hear a lot of is that these various denominations are just branches of the same tree. The, the tree is Christianity. And you got your Baptist branch going out this way, and you got your Presbyterian branch going out that way. And here's here's the Lutheran branch, and there's the uh, I don't know what Unitarian branch or whatever. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. They're all different branches of a tree. Now, uh, common sense says that's probably a bad analogy because that'd be like you had a tree, and it, this branch of this tree is oak, that branch of that tree is walnut. This branch is cherry. That tr- that branch is pecan. Well, you can't have a tree like that. Right. Trees don't grow like that. You couldn't right. make a tree grow like that. You can't even graft a tree like that. Uh-uh. And so uh, common sense says that that uh, is not practical, and it's really a perverted view of what the Lord wants in his church. Uh, 
the picture, that picture of different branches on the same tree is a actually a mistaken interpretation of what Jesus said in John 15. And I think most of our listeners are probably familiar. Let me read a few verses here in John 15, beginning verse 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Real simply, just look at that passage and just, you don't have to go, you don't have to dig too deeply. I am the vine, ye are the branches, he that abideth in me. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch. A really casual reading of that text suggests that Jesus is talking about individuals. He's not talking about groups of people. He's talking about individuals. Yep. Uh, and, and the passage is very clear on that. And yet this idea of different branches of the same tree is, is just a pervasive idea, even to the point. I, here's a, I, I pulled off a, a definition off of Wikipedia. You know, Wikipedia is so good on all of this stuff. Right, right. Um, tongue in cheek. I mean, I mean to be facetious about that. But Wikipedia says a denomination within Christianity can be defined as a, quote, recognized autonomous branch of the Christian church. Ah. So there, that's that's even what they're saying is a definition of a, a denomination. But closer and uh, look at the context there, and uh, the statement tells us it's about an individual, not a group or a church. Mohan in Chicago says, I would answer that when Jesus talked about the vine and branches, he was not talking about the branches being different religious groups in Christianity with different differing beliefs and practices. It is referring to the believers, and it is possible that true believers who follow the one true gospel can have differing gifts in the body. Jesus promised to build one church which belongs only to him. Thank you, Mohan, for your I, I comments Mohan, tonight. Mohan's right on that. Exactly right. And Jim in Kentucky says in John 15, verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. Disciples are the branches, not churches. Beyond this, and considering the analogy, the branches must all have the same character as the vine. Denominations, by, diff, by definition, are different from each other according to their doctrine. They want figs, grapes, olives, etc., to be part of the same vine. Thank you for that, Jim. Uh, appreciate your comments. Well, I think that's right too. I think um, I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking at email message. Keep going there. Have we got any okay. other answers? All right. Um, and we have from Ramona tonight. Good to hear from Ramona. She, by the way, that's what I was looking for. She said she she was in Dallas. We keep saying she's from Dallas. But she's back in Harlan, Texas, she says. Okay, all right. So thanks for listening, uh, Ramona. And she says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, and be strong. First Corinthians 16, verse 13, in reference to the idea of this, uh, that uh, people are, are making these false statements. Uh, we need to be courageous. We need to be grounded in the faith uh, so that we can uh, know the truth on these important matters. Thank you, Ramona, for your comments. And then Kent in Calhoun, Georgia, says, Those who argue in defense of denominationalism fail to see that Christ is the true vine and individual Christians, not collective religious groups, are the branches, John 15, verses 1 through 6. Denominationalism has a monstrosity of religious confusion being the vine and conflicting religious denominations being the branches. Such is a false con uh, concept built upon a false premise. Thank you for that, Ken. Yeah, I think that's well said. 
So the, 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 the first idea that we think is a flawed concept is the idea that we're different branches of the same tree. That does, that's not supported by the Bible at all. The second idea I just threw out there was the idea of different pieces of the same pie. Uh, and I would argue that that's also from a common sense uh, viewpoint impractical. I'd like to see a cook who could bake a pie and one piece of it be pumpkin and the next piece be pecan and the next piece be chocolate pie and the next piece banana cream and the next piece strawberry and the next piece, I need one more, chocolate chocolate. You didn't say cherry, did chocolate you? Chocolate cherry, okay. Okay. I, I, I don't tell you how good a baker you are. You cannot do that. That's, that wouldn't even be practically possible. And it, uh, it doesn't work uh, in religion either. And we would use the same kind of arguments we just made about the vine and the branches as being evidence of the idea of pieces of a pie being impractical. So that analogy, uh, Jim says, Paul was inspired to write and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And also, for as the body is one and, ha- and hath many members, and all members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ, 1 Corinthians twelve twelve. Both passages emphasize one body, which is the church. Yeah, and, and you know, if it's one body, it, it wouldn't have aspects of the body. This part of the body is human, but this part of the body over here is alligator, and this part of the body over here is giraffe. No, we're one body. Therefore, there would be a continuous nature throughout it all it wouldn't be a totally different character to that analogy ramona says to flee and become separated from the whole piece of pie uh get out of that idea completely and then kent says the pie analogy will not work either the denominational concept of a pie is a pie made up of various conflicting slices or pieces of chocolate cherry apple etc all coming out of a non-conflicting single set of components that will produce only one type of pie while it is true that all really uh Okay, so he says you can't. Well, that, that, that's a good. That's a good point. You couldn't take a pie and put the same ingredients and get different kind, different pieces out of it. You, when you go to make a pie, if you put the same ingredients in, if you put ingredients in, every piece will be the same. And every time you make a pie, it'll turn out the same way. If Look you at, put the same ingredients in it, every time it, if you're making, if you put in the ingredients for a cherry pie. Every time it'll turn out to be a cherry pie, it won't sometimes turn out to be something different. Right, and if we're teaching the gospel of Christ, then it will produce Christians, not Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterians, are going to produce Christians. Yeah, I think that's a good point. All right. We got one last analogy to go to, and that, and this one probably is more practical in people's minds, and that's the yeah. idea of different roads to the same destination. Probably all heard that one. Yeah, and let's deal with that one. come back. All right, we're going to take the break, and when we get back, we'll get your comments. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Hi, my name is Mike Smith, and I'm a member of the College of Church of Christ on Hampshire Pike. Let me ask you some questions. Do you remember when churches insisted on Bible authority for everything they did? Can you recall when church members always expected they thus saith the Lord? Can you remember when the church was well known for its book, chapter, and verse style of teaching and preaching? Are you upset because the church you're attending doesn't always, doesn't always approach things this way anymore? Does it concern you that elders and preachers don't seem to care about Bible authority at all? We're still trying to do everything according to the New Testament pattern. 
If you're looking for a church like the one you remember from the past, please visit us soon at the College of Church of Christ this Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Here's some quotes worth pondering. If you don't live it, you don't really believe it. Undertake something that is difficult. It will do you good. Unless you try to do something beyond what you have already mastered, you will never grow. It takes both hands to lay hold on eternal life. You will have to let go of everything else. Man, wish I'd said that. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the program. As we talk about denominationalism, 7593 says, I like pie. Well, we're with 7593, but we don't. But I tell you what, I don't think I would like a pie that was a mishmash of all different flavors. No. Uh, I want it, if, if, if it's a pumpkin pie, I want it to be a pumpkin pie. I don't want it all messed and mixed up with other stuff in it. Okay. All right. Now to the, the, the analogy that is probably one of the more common. And that is different roads to the same destination. And this one, from a common sense point of view, actually is more workable than the others. I mean, we say it'd be impossible to have a tree with different kinds of branches. It'd be, diff- it'd be impossible to have a pie with different kinds of slices. But, you know, you can take different routes. To, you know, like if, if, if we want to go to Nashville tonight, there are several different ways you can get to Nashville. Right. I mean, any number of different ways. You can, some more efficient than others. Some will get you there quicker than others. But if the goal is just to get to Nashville, you, you, you can take any way you want. And so this may, from a common sense point of view, maybe makes better sense. The only problem with it is it's absolutely totally denied by the Scriptures. Yes. Jesus and, said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. He spoke of one way. Jim in Kentucky referenced that verse and said, Jesus said there was only one way, not many. Uh, Thirty years after Jesus made that statement in John fourteen six, Paul said in Acts 24, verse 14, I confess unto thee that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my father. In other words, he was making a defense of his life and practice. And he says, they call it heresy, but I follow the that way, the way, singular not multiple ways. And so while it, from a common sense point of view, it might suggest the possibility that you could take different routes to the same def- destination, only problem is uh, the Bible flatly denies that as not being true. Jim is in the chat room tonight, and he says the problem with all roads lead to heaven is that you have to know ahead of time that the road you are on is going there since no one has gone to heaven in return, no one can know how to get there. That certainly is a good point. Except, except by what's revealed in the scripture. And so, yeah. if I'm going to the road, if I'm going to make sure that the road I'm on is going to go to heaven, then I'm going to make sure it's the road that the scriptures talk about. And the scriptures only talk about one road. Yeah. Now, you know, so, it wouldn't it wouldn't be where I would. So I think Jim making a good point there. I know what you're saying, and 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 you may be right, but I think this way of doing things will get me where I want to go. Well, like Jim says, no, nobody's ever been down that road all the way to the end. How do you know it ends up at heaven? The only way you could know that the route you're on goes to heaven is if the Bible plainly says so, and and then you better trust that. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Monty? Well, you know, Jesus talked about the straight and narrow road and that it was a difficult road. So if we're doing something that's different than that straight and narrow road that we read about in the Bible, then the road we're on isn't taking us to heaven. We might wish it was. We might have convinced ourselves that it is, but it's not. Yeah. 
I think that that you bring bring up Matthew seven there is really a good point, Monty. Matthew seven thirteen, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Oh, excuse me, this is talking about destruction. The first part. Wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction, many there be which go in there, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that findeth. Again, Jesus said there is a way, singular, that leads to life. And Kent in Calhoun, Georgia, says, While it is true that all religions are going to the same destination, denominationalism does not understand that, that the one destination is the final judgment. The judgment is where the separation will take place among all religious people, Matthew seven twenty one and through 23. Thank you for that, Kent. All right. So we've dealt with sort of the misconceptions about denominationalism, the, the, the flawed concepts that some have about uh, what denominationalism is and whether it's okay or not. Uh, what we really want to stress, though, Jacob, is that this whole idea of denominationalism, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, you do your, somebody else does it a different way, but it's all good. It doesn't yeah. matter. Not a, not only do we accept that, we embrace it, that this is a good thing. That, that's what our religious society does. This is the norm. This is good. And really, even to the point that it's a very bad thing if you say anything against the whole concept or any particular element of denominationalism. So if we teach that the Baptist church is wrong about baptism for the remission of sins. They don't, they don't practice baptism for the remission of sins. We think that's wrong. Well, that, we're cast off on as, as being somehow judgmental and harsh. And uh, divisive. And, and divisive. <laughs> Ironically. And, and, and you think you're the only ones yeah. going to heaven and all that sort of thing. The reason why we can't embrace that is because it, it's contrary to what the Bible teaches as our objective. Um, the scriptures teach that there ought to be a uniformity of belief and practice among Christians. It does. It, it, the Bible absolutely does not teach that you can do it your way, Monty can do it his way, I can do it my way, and God thinks all that is fine. What, what the Lord wants is a uniformity of belief and practice. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 17 Paul said, for this cause I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. So Paul wasn't teaching one thing in one church and another thing in a different church. And therefore, this church was practicing instrumental music and this one wasn't. That one was teaching baptism for the remission of sins but the next one was teaching salvation by faith only because and the reason being because paul didn't think it was important and and everywhere he went he just taught whatever came to mind and he taught one thing in one place and something else in a different no he taught the same thing he says i teach everywhere in every church uh so that suggests the idea of this uniformity of belief and practice and and really if you stop to think about it in any endeavor you would want that if you had a business and you you had several different locations where this business was being done i think a business manager would say if we're going to be successful we want to have the same practices in all of our different locations we're not going to do, we're not going to keep books one way in a certain place and, te- and, and then keep them in a completely different manner, in a different place. We're not going to, you know, you just wouldn't do that. And, and the Lord 
certainly in his wisdom understood the importance of having a uniformity of belief and practice among all Christians. All right. 877-381-4567 tonight. And in the chat room, lots of viewers there. Sign in and send us your comments. Jim says uh, uh, he makes a point from the prayer of Jesus. We want to bring this up in, in, in just a little bit. From John 17, I'm going to hold uh, uh, Jim's reference to John 17, the prayer of Jesus. But he says uh, in Philippians 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2, verse 5, we are to think as he thought. Uh, and then he, he quotes Paul from 1 Corinthians 1, beginning verse 10. I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak the same things. There be no division or schisms, sex, and so forth among you. For it has been declared unto me... You of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, I have Apollos, I have Cephas, I have Christ. Is Christ divided? He, we and, and Jim concludes, we are to be united in what we believe and teach. No divisions, no following different teachers, only Jesus Christ. All right. Jim is also added in the chat room the reference to Deuteronomy 12, verse 8. You shall not do after all the things that you we do here this day, every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. God has already condemned the idea that each of us get to choose how we get to heaven. That's a good point. Yeah, thank you, Jim. 12, verse 8, exactly right. Okay. So again, the the Bible, the picture of, of what God wants in his church in the Bible is of uniformity of belief and practice. Money. You know, in Acts chapter 18, beginning at about verse uh, 24, it introduces Apollos. And it says he came to Ephesus, said he was mighty in the scriptures, and that would have been the Old Testament scriptures. And said he was teaching in the way of the Lord, but said he only knew the baptism of John. And Aquila and Priscilla was able to recognize that from what he was teaching. And says then in verse 26, they explained the word of God to him more accurately. And so it was obvious there he was teaching something a little different. And that division or not or lack of uniformity in teaching was recognizable and not acceptable. So they had to teach him more accurately so that he could be properly teaching what he was supposed to be teaching. So division or different teachings following a different path to the same goal was not acceptable there. And the scriptures clearly demonstrate that. I think that's exactly right. The text, one of the texts that Jim mentioned in his email, 1 Corinthians 10, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 1, beginning verse 10, we just read that. But Paul concludes with the, with the rhetorical question, is Christ divided? And the answer is no, Christ is not divided. Therefore, we should not be divided. Uh, we are urged to be one, be of the same mind, be of the same judgment. There, What you see very interestingly there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning verse 10, is that there was evidence of division in that church. Uh, there was not unity. And it was condemned. That yeah. What was going on there was just flatly condemned by the Apostle Paul. Uh, and, and, and he ended up by saying, is Christ divided? There's a rhetorical question. The obvious answer is no. And yet today, uh, he is divided, supposedly, and that's supposed to be okay with it's us. It's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, certainly. Yeah. Uh, Here's what Dwight says about it from Iowa. He says, denominations practice division. Notice this. They practice division. The Bible teaches against such practices. One will allow gay marriage, and the other won't allow it. But they just say, stay silent on the condemning of it and get along, with, uh, get along and pacify people. 
There are churches of Christ that use the name Church of Christ that are nothing more than another denomination because they don't practice truth. And so he says, how can denominations be acceptable when one teaches one thing, one teaches another on a critical matter like uh, a matter of morality, a matter of right and wrong, uh, as far as uh, individual life and living? One would say it's okay to be practicing homosexuality. One would say it's not. One would say it's okay to do this. It's not okay. To, and the other say it's not okay. What, where where would we draw the line? What about a church that says it's wrong to murder? The other church says it's right to murder. Is it okay that we have this division? It's certainly not. Um, the, the, uh, um, the idea of division and the idea that people have that it's okay actually denies one of the words that the scriptures use and condemn as a work of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, beginning verse 19, says, The works of the flesh are manifest, which of these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, uh, if you're reading the King James, that's the King James version of that passage. Again, that's Galatians 5, beginning verse 19. That's the works of the flesh. And one of the works of the flesh that's going to keep people from inheriting the kingdom of God is seditions. The American Standard Version there for that word translates it divisions instead of seditions, divisions. Mm-hmm. Divisions are going to keep you from inheriting the kingdom of God. Now, again, our point is the world says that's good. Embraces it. Yeah. But God says it's not good. And so, again, the the, the whole idea. Now, I want to tie this back to our theme for tonight. Why, why can't we just get along, go along? Why do you guys insist that there's just one right way and, and that we all need to be striving to be in that right way? Why, why are you all so insistent that you have to condemn religious practices that you don't agree with? The reason why is because denominational, well, the reason why we can't embrace denominationalism is because it's contrary to the Bible picture of what God wants. It is. And it also is an insult to, uh, insulting to God's uh, will and his plan for us to say, well, God says this, and someone says, no, well, no, I'm, we're going to do it this way. Then it really is just total disregard for God's instructions. We're not committed to following his instructions. And, and when you think about it, on so many religious questions, there it there there is there has to be a right and a wrong. Is baptism essential for the remission of sins? It's either yes or no. It's not someplace in between. Both can't be right. It either is essential for the remission of sins or it is not. If we can read in the scriptures that it says that it is, then those who do not practice baptism for the remission of sins are are saying. I don't care what God says about that. I'm going to do it my way. Or vice versa. If we're teaching that it's necessary, but the Bible doesn't bind that, then we're flaunting God's will by insisting upon it. And and so there has to be a right answer to that question, and we all need to be in unity about the answer to that question. All right. Uh, Ramona in Texas on this idea that division is acceptable, says, I do not accept division, but it can also be used in the division that is now happening in the church. I feel sad that forces of evil have twisted liberal minds into their version of Christianity. It's the feel-good gospel. So I think Ramona has experienced some of these divisive kind of things going on. And certainly, 
Uh, it is not good. Uh, and division occurs, denominationalism occurs, because people are not committed to doing what God wants. Yeah. Let's take our, um, a break, Jason. When we come back, we, we want to talk about the fact that this Jesus actually prayed about this. Okay. And, and we should want to do the will of the Lord in, in regards to this matter. Kelly's in the chat room and has shared comments on that. And we want your comments as well. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. You're surely familiar with the Miranda Law, which requires police officers to recite certain basic rights to persons they are arresting. The familiar words go like this, quote, You have the right to remain silent. Any statement you make can and will be used against you. You have the right to an attorney, and so forth. We think that a set of rights could and should be set forth for all Christians in their dealings with one another. Consider these. First, you have the right to the love of your fellow Christians. This is not just an emotional feeling, but a real concern for you that even puts your needs above their own. Read John 13, verse 35. Two, you have a right to the sacrificial service that others can provide when you need it. John 13, beginning verse 12. And you have the right to serve your brethren in return when you have the opportunity to do so. Matthew 23, verse 11, Galatians 6, verse 10. Third, you have the right to have your convictions respected by others. Romans 14, verse 21, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 10 and following. Number four, you have the right to know that no one will harshly judge you in an unrighteous way or impugn your motives. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5, John 7, verse 24. Number five, you have the right to a confidence that others will not gossip about you or maliciously slander you. Ephesians 4, verse 31. Number six, you have the right to be the first one to know if others think you have done or said something wrong. Matthew 18, beginning verse 15. Number seven, you have the right to expect correction and instruction when you are in error. 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Number eight, you have the right to be restored if you have fallen away into error. Galatians 6, verse 1. Number nine, you have the right to disciplinary action by the whole church if it becomes necessary. Second Thessalonians 3, verses 6, 14, and 15. And number 10, you have the right to be forgiven when you repent and confess. James 5, verse 16, Luke 17, verses 3 and 4. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hey, Mommy. I'm too old. Um, this is the virtual Bible study. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And we're back on the program tonight. Reminding this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. We're, com- we're committed to the idea of not being a denomination, but simply being the church like you read about in the New Testament. If you're interested in doing the same, we encourage you to find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Send us an email anytime with your questions or comments to questions at collegeview. Jim in the chat room makes an interesting observation. He said, if we can believe differently, then why did Paul command withdrawing from those who refused to go the same way they were going? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. uh, that's a good question, Jim. Uh, I, I think it's w- worthy of consideration. And, and we could throw in some other passages like that. Uh, in Romans chapter 16, uh, verse 17, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. And so, uh, you know, how, you, how could you teach different things without 
causing division and offense, contrary to the doctrine which has been learned. They were cause, So those who cause division and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you've learned, are to be avoided. They, be to mark, they are to be marked and avoided. So those kind of passages would also teach the importance of unity in, what, in our belief in Christ. How could you walk disorderly if anything goes and everything's okay and it doesn't matter how you walk? How could you be guilty of walking disorderly? Well, I'm not walking disorderly. I'm just walking like the Methodist. Oh, no, you're Presbyterian. You can't walk like that. Yeah. Well, But the Methodists are okay. Why can't I walk like that? Well, because you're a Presbyterian. You can't do that. It doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't make any sense. Um, Kelly in the chat room made a good observation, which I think has always, to me, always been the strongest case against denominationalism. She says unity was so important to Christ that he prayed for it before he died. And I, I think that's a very good observation from John 17, beginning verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Now, the context of that prayer makes it so sort of emphatic. This was Jesus praying just before he was to be taken by violent men, uh, 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 wrongly accused and crucified, tortured to death on the cross. Yeah. What's on you? So what would he knows this is coming? He knows that this is his final, literal, literal final hours of life. You're praying about things that are unimportant to you, and in, in, in what you know to be the final hours of your life, are you going to pray about things that don't matter at all? No, you're going to pray about things most important to you. And his prayer included a prayer for unity among all followers. He'd been praying for his apostles, but he says, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Well, that would be us, right? We believe on him through the word of the apostles. What's he want for us all? That we may be one. What kind of oneness? Not Not a unity in diversity. You believe one thing, I believe something different. But we claim unity. Uh, and we, they, this phrase has even been coined, unity and diversity. No, he says that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. So he wants the unity between his followers to be like the unity that exists between him and God. What kind of unity exists between him and God? Perfect harmony. No difference whatsoever. In total agreement. And that's what Jesus was praying for his followers. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Ramona says that she found this on Wikipedia regarding the Church of Christ. Members of the Churches of Christ believe that Jesus founded only one church, that the current divisions among Christians do not express God's will, and that the only basis for restoring Christianity or Christian unity is the Bible. They believe that they are recreating the New Testament Church as established by Christ. She goes on and says, when adding or subtracting from this for their own, then unity comes into play. Uh, So thank you, Ramona, for your comments tonight. I I think that brings to my mind this idea of the very meaning of denominational, denominationalism. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, the way I've related this through the years is remembering our grade school math when we studied fractions in grade school. When you studied fractions in grade school, the the number on the top of the fraction was the numerator, and the number on the bottom of the fraction was the denominator. And 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 when you when you have a fraction like three over four, three fourths, what that actually stands for is three 
divided by four. That's, yep. that, that's what that fraction means. Right. Four is the denominator. Four is the div- dividing thing. That's what you divide with, the denominator. The denominationalism, in, in the root meaning of the word stands for division, and we've been looking at these Bible passages that condemn division. So why can't you Church of Christ people just embrace denominationalism? Because it flatly is condemned in the Scripture. You know, as we was talking about that prayer of Jesus, it appears, as we read in John there, that that was the last prayer that he ever made on this earth. If I knew I was fixing to be crucified, I would probably be asking for strength for me to be able to endure this. It was far and away more important to Jesus that he was so important that, that his last prayer on earth was for his followers to all believe the same thing and be unified. If that was that important to him, rather than praying for himself, he was praying for us then we need to be working toward being unified and not accepting division. Exactly right. In the chat room tonight, Nikki says, Many are familiar with Noah's Ark, but not the one church. God told Noah exactly how he wanted the Ark built in Genesis, but do not understand that Jesus built his one church, Matthew sixteen eighteen, Acts 2, verse 47, speaks of the Lord added to the church daily, and that speaks of one, not many. Ephesians 4, verse 4, speaks of the one body. So yeah. Nikki is commenting on a lot of, comment, of of themes there from the scriptures about the idea of unity uh, of I believers. Think so I, I want to just just go through that a little bit th- uh, more, what Nikki has suggested from Ephesians 4, 4. Ephesians 4, 4 begins a list of things of which there are only one. Seven things are listed of which there is only one. There's one body and one spirit, even as you called one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But that familiar text starts out, chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 4, there is one body. Okay, well, what are we talking about when we talk about the body? Well, same epistle, go back to chapter 1 of Ephesians, um, Verse 22, Ephesians 1, 22, God hath put all things under his, Jesus' feet, gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So the church is the body. There's just one body. How many churches are there? Just one church. And so, again, that would stress this idea of, of uniformity and no division. And so here we see have this religious climate that exists, which there are actually an innumerable number of different religious organizations, different churches. Uh, And yet the scriptures talk about one. Well, why can't you embrace that? Well, because it's not what the Bible says. It's not what the Bible teaches. Now, are, are we perfect? Have we, have we got everything down to a, to a, a honed perfection? Well, no, we're not claiming perfection, but we are saying the Bible is teaching a perfect ideal that we need to be striving for. And and to do that, when we find out what the scriptures teach, we cannot just out, uh, out of hand dismiss it. Oh, well, the Bible teaches baptism, but I don't think it's important. You think it's important. I don't think it's important. doesn't matter. You do what you want. I'll do what I want. That's not how we're going to get to that I idea. I prefer baptism, but you don't want baptism. That's okay. You just worship your way. You do what you think you is like right. You like instrumental music. I don't. Yeah. doesn't matter. But that's 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 just absolutely uh, thumbing your nose at the idea of unity, about oneness, about the one body. Kent in Calhoun, Georgia says, The New Testament teaches that there must be uniformity regarding matters of doctrine and practice. He references 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 1, verse 10, as you did earlier. 
There must be uniformity, he says. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10 also teaches that religious division is unacceptable. Note also 1 Corinthians 1, 11 through 13. There are times that division will be inevitable because of false doctrines and unauthorized practices. However, those who will be accountable for such divisions will be those who introduced such, not those who followed New Testament authority, Romans 16, 17, and 18, Colossians 3, verse 17. It is the will and desire of Christ that all who believe be one in unity. He references John 17, verses 20 and 21, as we have earlier. Thank you for that, uh, Kent. Again, there will be de- there will be division, and the scriptures tell us that it's going to occur. Yeah. But that's never presented as a good thing. Yeah, yeah, you're going to be divided. Some of you are going to believe one thing. Some of you are going to do something else. Some of you aren't going to submit to the teachings of the Bible. That's okay. It's good. Celebrate it. No, it's a bad thing. It's going to happen, but it's nev- never uh, presented in a positive light. In First Corinthians 11, verse 19, Paul says, "There must need, there must be also heresies among you." that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. In other words, they're going to be trouble, divisions, uh, and so forth. But we can't approve that. And what it's actually demonstrating is who's right and who's wrong. And Jim says, the scriptures say to avoid division, but denominations promote it. I think that's right. All right. Uh, so, again, I think people have a flawed view of of what the church is supposed to be, what religion, what the what Christianity is supposed to be. And we, we need to press that it is the whole idea of denominationalism is opposite of the true Bible picture of what the Lord wants and the unity that he urged us to have. And, and to say it's not important and we can just embrace denominationalism and be happy with that situation is just wrong. You know, it's ironic, though, when you when you make these statements that denominationalism is wrong, that we need to all be unified. People say, people get, will confront you and say, you're being divisive. Yeah, you're the divisive one. When you but push, we, when we you push that baptism thing, you're you're causing division. When you push that baptism thing that you believe, you're causing division. We we just we need to all get along. Why are we, why are you, the the world needs the the body of believers to be unified. Not divided. Why are you being so divisive? Well, it's ironic because those who are divisive are those who are not following the pattern and doing what they want. Well, the thing of it is they, they have this view that of unity and diversity. They would say, well, go ahead and do what you want to do. Just don't press it. Don't don't insist that everyone do it that way. Just allow everybody to do their own thing. And so they have this crazy idea that we're united. They just call it that, but we're clearly not when we're not believing and practicing the same thing. We're going to you know, when we're saying we all ought to be believing the same thing, we're saying we ought to be, all ought to be unified. And they're saying, well, we ought to be able to believe anything, and all of us believe our own, their own things. They're the ones being divisive. They're the one doing the dividing. We're saying we need to get back together with what the Bible says and believe it and do it. Exactly. Let's take a break, and when we get back, we'll get your comments and get to the end of the hour. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. I'm Tom Goodall, a member of College View Church of Christ. Do you have a question about what has been said on the virtual Bible study tonight? Perhaps you disagree with something that was said, or would just like more information about what you've heard. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us with any questions or comments that you might have. Email us at questions at collegeview.com, and we can discuss any of your questions or comments with you privately or over email. 
Or if you would like to speak with someone in person, call us at 931-381-4567. Our promise to you is that we'll do our very best to give you a Bible answer for anything that we do or teach, and that we will do so in a loving manner. So if you have any questions or comments about our program tonight or any Bible subject, email us at questions at collegeview.com or call 931-381-4567. Thanks for listening to tonight's virtual Bible study, and we hope to hear from you soon. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Scholar James Q. Wilson has stated, quote, The poorest Americans today live a better life than all but the richest persons a hundred years ago. The typical household defined as poor by the government has a car and air conditioning. For entertainment, the household has two-color televisions, cable or satellite TV, and a DVD player. If there are children, especially boys in the home, the family has a game system such as an Xbox or a PlayStation. In the kitchen, the household has a refrigerator, an oven and stove, and a microwave. Other household conveniences include a clothes washer, clothes dryer, ceiling fans, a cordless phone, and a coffee maker. That information is via the Heritage Foundation. The Word of God says in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight as we talk about denominationalism. Guest 4838 in the chat room says, My family and I were obliged to leave the alleged Church of Christ and join what we found to be undoubtedly the actual Church of Christ, namely the Catholic Church. Catholic meaning universal in time, place, theology, etc., Our decision was largely due to the realization that we could not distinguish our prior tradition from the denominational world. We found it to be yet another denomination, much like what was mentioned on last week's show regarding standing in the water and denying being wet. Okay, uh, well, we we don't want to rehash everything that, that was mentioned in last week's program, but would there be... Is there are there some things that the true church would do that deni- that that erroneous denominations do? I think or, like last or, week one, one one of the one of the things mentioned was meeting in a in a, a four walled room. Uh, or, was well, that pews, right? pews in a row, uh, lined up in a row? Yeah, and we, we just pointed out that the reason why we do that we you know we meet in a, we we sit in pews in rows. In a room with four walls and a ceiling is not because we don't do that because the denominations do that. We do that because that is an expedient way to accomplish the command to assemble. Uh, there will be other ways. We, we could meet under a shade tree. Uh, you know, we could meet in any number of places. But this this is a this is a a, a a matter of general authority where we're allowed to exercise expedient to do what seems to be most practical. And efficient, and so so we meet in a room that has four walls and a ceiling. Denominations do too. Does that make us like the denominations? Well, in that regard, we're not different from the denominations. Not because we're imitating them or they're imitating us, but just because it so happens that the judgment of those folks would be the same as ours as to how to most efficiently, expediently carry out the command to assemble. doesn't mean that we're being like the denominations. We're just we're, we're exercising authority, the expediency of general authority in making decisions about where and how to assemble. Uh, yeah, so I so it doesn't. It's not wrong just because of some other group that's obviously not right is doing it. Yeah, 
it's 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 right or wrong because it, it either lines up with the scriptures or it doesn't. Exactly. Right. So thanks now, for the, now to this to this guy in the chat room here, Jacob. We have done this before and we can do it again. And you might want to check in our in our archives on the virtual Bible study. We've talked about Catholicism before, but I'm going to tell you, if you think you've gotten back to the real New Testament form of Christianity by what the Catholic Church practices, you need to rethink that because the Catholic Church is not at all like the church that you read about in the pages of your New Testament. Now, we're not saying we're perfect, as we've said over and over again. We're not saying we're perfect about that either. We're trying. We're trying hard to follow the New Testament pattern. But I'll tell you, the Catholic Church is far from that pattern, way far from that pattern that is not the church that you read about in the pages of your New Testament. All right. Thank you for those comments, 4838. And uh, we'd like to talk with you some more if uh, you'd be willing to send us an email. Um, we talked about the fact that uh, there, the church is mentioned as being singular in the New Testament. Therefore, that by default would eliminate the, uh, the idea or the possibility of having different denominations. Yeah. Jesus, there were several things about there. There was just one church that Jesus promised some of this goes to Nikki's comment in the chat room. But in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said, I will build my church, singular. So uh, Jesus said he's going to build just one. It would belong to him. That's why we actually call it the Church of Christ. That's a new, that's, that is a New Testament identifier of the church that belongs to Jesus. It's the church of or the church belonging to Jesus. We read that. We read that descriptive in the pages of scripture there uh, but i think as you guys mentioned last week on the program there are other names as well but that is a bible name because it tells what it is it is the church that belongs to jesus is the church of christ but jesus said he was only going to build one Mm -hmm. Um, he purchased one with his blood in acts chapter 20 and verse 28 uh, Paul made a statement of that regard. He said in Acts 20, verse 28, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Again, it was the church purchased with his blood, singular. So Jesus didn't promise to build 23,000 different churches. He promised to build one. He didn't buy 23,000 different churches he bought just one. He purchased just one with his blood. Very plain. I mean, uh, we're not doing any mental gymnastics there. That's just as plain as we can make it. That's what the scriptures say. All right. Jim in Kentucky references Matthew sixteen eighteen, where Jesus said, I will build my church. Church singular, not churches plural, Jim says. Uh, he references Ephesians 4, 4. There's one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. One body, not many, Jim says. Uh, and then he references Ephesians five twenty four and 25. Therefore, as a church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. How many wives does a man have? How many wives did Christ die for? One, he says. Uh, so certainly uh, there is a singularity mentioned there. Jim goes on. He references Acts 20, verse 28, as you did, uh, that Jesus died for one church and used only use his blood to purchase that one church. He is the head of one church, his body, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. He's the savior of the, the only one body, 
Ephesians 5:23. He only adds true believers to his church. Acts 2, verse 47. Thank you, Jim. Yeah, Jim had a lot of the same verses I had on my notes. So he promised to build one, Matthew 16:18. He purchased one with his blood, Acts 20, verse 28. He is the head of one. Colossians 1.18 says he is the head of the body, the church. You know, denominationalism has a really gross picture of of this situation. So here's, so we got thousands now, multiple, 20s, 40s, thousands of different religious groups calling themselves churches that belong to Jesus. So here's one head with 20,000 bodies attached to the same head. That's not the picture. One body. One head. He's the head. He's the head of one body. He's the savior of the body. Ephesians five verse twenty three says again, emphasizing just one, not multiples. And then, uh, as Jim said, as Nikki said in her mess, uh, uh, chat in the chat room, Acts two verse forty seven. The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Which church did the Lord add them to? The Adam to the Methodist Church, Adam to the Lutheran Church, Presbyterian Church. Pentecostal church. Which church did he add them to? He added them to the one true church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When they heard the truth and humbly believed it, it's obvious they were there were no denominations. The church just began on that day. There was only one, and true believers were added to it. Okay. Uh, Ramona in Texas just answers all of your questions with one, and they certainly there certainly is one church, only one church. And Kent says Christ only built one church, Matthew 16, 18, and 19. Christ purchased only one church with his blood, Acts 20, 28. Christ is head over one body of the church, Ephesians 1, 22, and 23. Christ is the savior of only one church, Ephesians 5, 23. The same process that Christ uses in making one a Christian, that is, one who has been saved from sin, makes that individual a member of only one true church, Acts 2, verse 47. Exactly right. And then in the chat room, uh, guest 4838 has followed up with some more uh, more comments. Thank you, 4838. What is to distinguish one group's interpretation of Scripture from another? Who has the authority to say who has the proper interpretation? We need an authority outside of the Bible to do so, namely the authority of the church out of which came the New Testament in the first place. That's more of what I mean, not so much meeting in a building and whatnot. Okay. So that's maybe that's a topic for a future uh, a program. Does the church have the authority uh, to... Well, the, the idea of that of that statement, and, that, and, and I understand that statement, and, and I think there's a lot of people who have that view that that there needs to be sort of an inspired interpreter of the, of the gospel message. In other words, I've got my New Testament here, and you've got yours over there, and it's really impractical to think that you could read yours and come to the same conclusion that I get when I read mine. And, and therefore, we need something like the, the Catholic Church to tell us what it means and to put an interpretation on it that would unify us all in practice because the church is telling us this is the way it is. Uh, well, again, that's not what the Scriptures teach. In Ephesians 3, Paul said, By revelation, God made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote a four and few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So Paul said it was revealed, written down. We can read it. We can understand it. And when you really think about it, I mean, I understand that there are some more difficult subjects in the Scripture. We understand that. But take something as simple as baptism. Okay, take take. What is the proper mode of baptism? 
the Catholic Church teaches and practices sprinkling for baptism. The New Testament is emphatically clear and cannot be misunderstood that baptism is an immersion in water. You know what's interesting? Catholic authorities even acknowledge that that's the case and that that's how how baptism was practiced in the early centuries. They, Catholic historians, acknowledge that the church authorized effusion or sprinkling for baptism centuries later. Well, no, no, what that's not just the church being an authorized interpreter of the Bible. That's the church changing what the Bible teaches in practice. It's not the only thing that this has been changed, but right. certainly it's so the church is not an authority outside of the Bible. The church needs to preach what the Bible preaches. We're the and pillar te- and ground of the truth. Right. Second uh, or uh, first Timothy. Three, three. verse. 14, 15, 15. Okay. All right. First Timothy 3, 15. Yep. All right. Well, uh, that's a good discussion, and uh, and maybe we can take that up again in the future. 4838, we'll really appreciate your comments tonight. Uh, Monty, any final comments from you? Well, as far as being able to understand what the Bible says, as 4838 was talking about, uh, the Bible, the Spirit revealed the Word to us, the words. If we're having trouble understanding the words, get a dictionary and look them up and see what the words mean. Uh, since it's Bible words, we may want to get a Bible dictionary and look them up and see what they meant in the first century when it was written down. But ultimately, we have the words. We have the definitions. We can understand it. Word, words mean things. I don't have to have somebody else tell me. Yeah, I can look things. it up myself. The words have meaning. Just do what they say. But, you know, Monty, I might say, Monty, what do you think this means? But it would ultimately be up to me to say, I think you're right about that. Or say, no, that's not what that means. But we can understand. Okay. Well, a good discussion. We welcome uh, any comments or feedback over email at any time. Questions at collegeview.com. Dad, thanks for thanks, Jacob. And thank you for being here. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.